think we all want like this quick fix for behavior. And usually that comes to us in some form of like incentive based system. But that really doesn't address skills that students are missing. And that is the underlying theme with behavior. Students behave in a certain way because they're missing skills that they need in order to behave in any other way. And so if we really want to see change, we need to make sure that we are figuring out what those skills are and teaching our kids the skills that they're missing. We are Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the Extracurricular Podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. This week on Extracurricular, teacher and classroom management coach Gina from Teaching with Heart shares her journey from crying in a supply closet, overwhelmed by student behavior, to discovering what was missing from her classroom, behavior science. Gina's advice in this episode has the power to completely transform your classroom, especially if you're dealing with challenging student behavior. She digs into the power of moving beyond incentive-based systems and talks to us about how we can address the root causes of student behavior. She shares so many practical tips in this episode that will help you with everything from integrating social-emotional learning into your tight schedule to building relationships intentionally even with your hard to reach students, to breaking down classroom expectations into manageable steps so your students can finally follow directions and stop blurting out in class. This episode is a must listen for teachers from preschool up through high school who are seeking to create a positive and engaging learning environment for students. Let's dive in. Both the Extracurricular Podcast and That Teacher Podcast are brought to you by the team at Pop PD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing, relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported as a modern educator. Check out our platform now at poppd.co to sign up for your free interactive workspace where you can access ideas and strategies for teaching, organize your favorite teaching ideas, and add your own notes and to-dos to keep everything in one easy-to-access spot. We have new challenges every month to help inspire you on topics like podcasting with your students and using ChatGPT to make communicating with families easier. If you're a school leader or instructional coach in charge of PD, you'll love our platform for curating your own PD library from our content or easily adding your own content to share with your teachers. And of course, we have a community space where you can come together with other teachers around the world to get advice, to laugh, to cry, to vent, whatever you need. It's off of Facebook. It's our little corner of the internet where we can be ourselves. Just click the community button on poppd.co and we'll see you there. Welcome, Gina, to the Extracurricular Podcast. We're really excited to have you here and to pick your brain about all things classroom management. Hello. Thank you for having me. So tell us, before we dive in, some of our listeners may be familiar with you and your hysterical and relatable videos that you post on Instagram, but in case they're not... Talk to us about how you became an educator and how you became passionate about classroom management. 
Yeah. So I wanted to be a teacher since I was in first grade. I was one of those little kids who had like the basement classroom with their stuffed animals and would ask for like maps of the world for Christmas. So, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher, but I actually thought I wanted to teach the older kids. I thought like fourth grade was where it was at. And then when I started doing like my field work and student teaching, I was like, actually, I think first grade is going to be where I want to be. I was offered a kindergarten position and I was terrified because I student taught in first grade and I like felt like I knew the lay of the land there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like kindergarten, they're just going to play all day. I'm not actually going to teach them anything. Um, And I was pleasantly surprised. I actually, now I wish that we played more because now I understand like learning through play and things like that. But that was 12 years ago. So I'm going into my 12th year of teaching. And um, unfortunately, it wasn't like my basement classroom was, right? Like all my stuffed animals listened to me (laughs) and followed directions. And when I started teaching, you know, every year I would have like one or two students who I struggled to get to follow the classroom expectations. But then my fourth year of teaching, I always tell this story, I had just like a group of kids and they really struggled following classroom expectations and they fed off of one another. So it was like, I I always say it it was this giant game of whack-a-mole. I would get one settled and then another one would pop up and I couldn't actually teach because all I was doing was putting out fires all day from low level, like blurting out to kids who were like destroying the classroom and running out of the room. And I would just think back to like, when I was seven in my basement, and (laughs) I was like, this isn't what I thought teaching was going to be like. And how do people do this for their entire life? I just felt like such a failure, like not not living up to the expectation that I had of myself, right? Like I was always a high achiever, And I'm like, wow, I really suck at this. So, you know, I tried to stick it out. And then I was just like, I don't think I can do this. Like, I was very like, you know, what else can I do with a teaching degree? Because I can't, like, be fending off things thrown at me all day or, like, breaking up fights between five-year-olds. Like, this is not my dream for my life. So I remember this one day. I know, Alyssa, I've shared this story with you before. I got my kids out to recess by like the skin of my teeth, just like throwing them out the door. And I went into the main office and our secretary was so nice. And she, she knew I had a tough class and she just said like, Oh, Gina, how's your day going? And I just looked at her and I just burst into tears. And it was super embarrassing because there were parents in the office. There were like my colleagues in the office, the principal's office was right there. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these people can't see me crying. So there was this little room like attached to the office that was like a storage room pretty much. And I just ducked into that room because I'm like, I don't want people to see me crying. They're going to think they're going to know that I can't do this. Right. And all of a sudden there's like this knock on the door and it was one of my teaching partners, one of my teammates and me and her, we weren't, we weren't really close at that time. We had just started working together and she just looked at me and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I can't do this. I I don't know. How do you get them to listen? How do you get them to follow the directions? Like every time I walk past her classroom, they're all sitting doing what they're supposed to be doing. And my class is like a circus. And I'm like, I need help. I need someone to come in. And she just goes, Gina, no one's coming. There's no one you're going to call. The Calvary is not coming. No one's coming to rescue you. Like you need to figure this out. 
you need to strap on your boots, right? And make a change or this is going to be how the rest of your year is. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really harsh. Okay. (laughs) Um, But, you know, she was right. And I had been relying on like things that I saw other teachers doing or things that were done in my classrooms when I was little. And those things just weren't working anymore. Like student behavior had ramped up and all of those things were just not making any difference. So I was lucky enough to meet a behavior analyst, a BCBA, and I just started learning about student behavior in a way that A, I was never taught. Like I have my master's degree. We weren't really taught much about student behavior or classroom management besides like you need classroom rules, right? Like, thank you. Um, And B, no one in my in my school really understood student behavior. They were all relying on those same systems that I was trying to use and failing at. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to learn everything I can from this woman. And then I'm going to go online and just take every training I can, read every book I can. And I started to realize that it wasn't actually the student behavior that we were trying to change. We were trying to just gain control of our classroom. And if we really wanted students to follow classroom expectations and routines and be positive members of our classroom community, we needed to approach it in a different way. And we needed to use behavioral science to figure out how we were going to support those students. So I completely changed how I ran my classroom, how I interacted with my students, the things that I taught them, the systems that I was using. And luckily, that year turned out to be one of my best years ever. All of my kids, I was able to get engaged in learning and following directions. Um, And I've just taken what I did that year and duplicated it every, every year since then. And I realized like, if it works for me, I should probably share it with other people. So I started sharing with teachers in my school and luckily they have found the same success. And so that helps me feel like I am helping other teachers out there, not just um, teachers in my, you know, in my school. And yeah, I just realized if I'm the one struggling with this, I can't be, it's not just me, right? It ha- other teachers out there have to be struggling too. So that's why I started sharing ideas online, um, just so I can help other teachers, because I know how it feels to stand in front of your kids and just feel like you are an absolute failure. And I don't want anyone else to have to feel that way, because you don't have to. If you make changes, you can absolutely have a successful year. So that's kind of my long-winded version of how I came to love classroom management and student behavior. And now it's my absolute favorite thing to learn about and talk about and teach teachers all over. Oh my gosh, there's so many good nuggets in there. <laughs> and I love hearing that story. I'd heard it before, but I loved hearing it again because it's so relatable. Everything you talk about is just so relate. We've all been there, right? Even if we weren't in that storage closet, like we've all been in the storage closet or, right. or our car or the bathroom crying because we're like, this isn't what we thought it was going to be. And I think behavior can be at the, and management can be at the root of that a lot of times. I'm glad you're here to share it with us. Megan, what were your thoughts as she was talking? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I just think of how, as you said, you know, you don't, you don't expect it. It doesn't feel, even if you wanted to be a teacher your whole life, like I certainly did, 
Um, when you mention to people like crying in the car, crying in the storage closet, non-teachers or people in understanding, that's not a thing. That doesn't yeah. happen. <laughs> I think everyone listening to this podcast right now is like, I've cried in some kind of contained space where I needed to take a moment. Um, but I love that you zeroed in and, and really looked at like, how can I look at that? Like the root of that behavior and really kind of digging into that science and again, like really searching for yourself of like, how can I figure this thing out? That curiosity definitely is what kind of changed the whole game for you. So yeah, I love that absolutely. you kind of leaned into that and, and just like, I'm going to follow this thread and see if it can kind of, you know, change things for me. Okay. So let's say there's a teacher out there who's listening and thinking, okay, uh, we're going to be publishing this episode, like kind of in the fall. So it's back to school. And I do need to think about my management and my behavior, whether I'm in, I'm teaching kindergarten or I'm teaching high school, like, where do I start? Yeah, I think the big shift for me was that so many of the systems, like the incentive-based systems that we are conditioned to use, really focus on rewarding, right, through like some sort of bribe. Like if you just think of, I don't know, if you use class dojo for behavior, um, you know, raise your hand and you will get a dojo point, right? Like that's a bribe. Or on the flip side of that, some sort of threat, like don't raise your hand, call out and you won't get the dojo point. And I think the thing that we fail to realize is that we are so focused on what the student is doing and that behavior that we are not addressing why the behavior is happening. And ultimately what I wound up learning was it really doesn't even matter what behavior the student's showing. If you can figure out why they're engaging in that behavior, then you can make a plan to A, give them the skills, teach them the skills that they're missing, and B, reinforce the behavior that you want to see, not necessarily even through rewards. So I think we all want like this quick fix for behavior. And usually that comes to us in some form of like incentive-based system or like something you're working towards as a class or things like that. But that really doesn't address skills that students are missing. And that is the underlying theme with behavior. Students behave in a certain way because they're missing skills that they need in order to behave in any other way. And so if we really want to see change, we need to make sure that we are figuring out what those skills are and teaching our kids the skills that they're missing. So I would recommend to try and move away from an incentive-based system. I don't think they're all bad, but I think that we rely on it as, as the classroom management plan, right? Where in reality, there's so much more than go, that goes into a classroom management plan besides just what those rewards are. Do you use them at all in your classroom? Like, do you, you ever use an incentive plan as kind of like the base layer to like get you through a time like the holidays? I'm thinking like pre-December 25th, I was always putting an incentive plan into place, but it was really more like a short-term thing. And then if, if you do, or whether you do or don't, how do you then start to build those underlying skills so that it does start to, like that you do start to see the results so that you can get back to teaching? Yeah, so I don't think an incentive-based system is bad, but it's only one part of your plan, right? So like in my school, I am actually mandated to use one because we're a PBIS school. So we give out like, we call them paws. They're little pieces of paper and you write the student's name on it and what they did to earn the paw, right? The thing we need to remember is that whatever we're using as the incentive, we need to pair 
with something called behavior specific praise. So that is where you are being very specific and telling the student exactly the behavior that they exhibited to earn that paw or whatever that prize is, right? So you wanna pair those together immediately. You don't wanna give the paw and then later be like, oh yeah, remember at math when you raised your hand, that's why you got that paw. And then you can eventually start to fade it out where you only rely on the behavior specific praise. So I usually try to rely on those paws at the beginning of the year, A, because I am I have to with my school and B, because you know it's a new school year, and then the holidays come up, right? Like you said, and then they come back from break and you need to reteach expectations. And then by the spring, I try to fade it out and just rely on that behavior specific praise. But you're absolutely right, there are some kids um, who like really rely on that tangible tangible item. And that's not a bad thing. We just need to make sure that we are um, only using it as one part of our plan. And then, like you said, on um, the skills, I think that, first of all, a lot of schools give you like a very short time frame to build social emotional skills, right? Like in my district, we have the first 20 days and then we move on to curriculum. But the big issue with that is just because we've taught something, we can't expect that our kids have mastered it. So instead of having like social emotional learning in a silo and curriculum in a silo, they really have to exist together. So you can teach whole class lessons on things that you know, skills that you know all of your students will benefit from. And then you, if you have specific students, which you very well will, um, who need a little bit more, you can teach them specific lessons based on skills that they're missing. So maybe they're missing specific skills like handling disappointment or how do you wait or you know, being told no. Maybe not everyone in the class needs it. They need a little more learning. So that's when I try to build those skills with them. And it is hard when you are a general, general ed teacher with you know 20 plus kids that you need to be teaching at all times, but just trying to find pockets of a few minutes during the day that you can do that skill building with students. It's totally possible. I am proof that it is possible. Really helps. It doesn't need to be like a prolonged hour, like even like three minutes in the morning, three minutes at snack time, three minutes at dismissal, whenever you can go and um, teach those kids. It's really helpful. Yeah, my mind was already going to the middle school and high school teachers. So I'm going to toss it to Megan in a minute. Yep. But I'm thinking, you know, you have less time, you have more kids. So you probably end up just like trying to fix the behavior real quick and then just get them out the door to the next thing I would imagine. But if imagine how great it would be if we had the same language that we were using from K all the way up to 12 and how much easier and quicker we could get at those underlying skills in just a couple of minutes if we didn't have to explain the skill right from the beginning or teach, you know, teach right from the the start on the skill every single time. So I'm, I'm assuming that common language and knowing how to teach these skills, so identifying the skill, knowing how to teach it is key here. So I want to toss it back to Gina, but before I do that, Megan, tell us a little bit about the experience in, in the high school and with behavior and like what worked and didn't work for you. Well, I think that um, just to kind of pull out, you know, one of Gina's main points there is that behavior specific praise. I think that is such a great kind of underpinning for everything because for, you know, K, K through 12 and, and beyond, right? Like I still need behavior specific praise, right? Like a little, when Alyssa and I are working together, but 
I think that having that as, as the foundation is always something, it's always what you come back to. It's always the goal is to be able to give that behavior specific praise. There's that acknowledgement from the student and, and like, that's how you kind of build, that's really how you build the expectations, right? Like you might have that list of expectations on the wall or have a conversation about it, but the actual process of having classroom expectations is really based on that behavior specific praise. So I really like that you're kind of naming that and having that be something specific that all teachers I think can can consider. But then also there's a lot of flexibility in what that looks like, right? And then that's where we come into not only you as an individual teacher and what your preferences are, what your school requires, but then also those those grade level things because I would say behavior specific praise is really what I, you know, would rely on as as a as a, you know, high school educator. A a, a piece of paper or something is usually not going to do it for the high school students, although something as simple as like playing a song at the end of class can can be a reward for them, right? So you can kind of play around with some of those little reward things. But for me, that behavior specific praise is really was really the, the key of it. And I think that you spend definitely, I think, spend less time at the in those upper levels of having those conversations or that list of rules about classroom expectations. You might have that. But I find that really identifying the unique ones for your subject or your classroom and kind of making it embedded in how you're actually you know teaching your curriculum is a great way of reinforcing those. So obviously as a, as a former English teacher, I would do a lot of that as far as like doing discussions or kind of analyzing and, and talking and have how I was interacting with students, how they were in, interacting with one another and being really deliberate about kind of praising the way in which people spoke in a certain way or spoke about a, another person's ideas or, you know, interpreted them in their in their own way. So really kind of noticing the things that you like to see in the way that your students are engaging with you and engaging with others. I think that's something that is really easy to kind of get lost just in like, oh, I'm having a student discussion today. And you might say, oh, this person had great analysis, so they did really well. But really trying to parse out, like, if I want to have great discussions throughout the year, or I want my students to treat each other with respect throughout the year as we're, you know, digging into a topic how, what do I want to say, or what am I looking for to be able to like, let them know that that's what we want to be doing. Right. When you reference the person's name of the point that you are, you know, remixing into your own analysis, or when you're responding to someone, how do you like critique their thing without it being, you know, totally shutting them down. Those, those kinds of things, noticing those and listing them out, I think is a great first step to actually having your own behavior specific praise kind of at the ready. So I think that one's really important. And the other one, which I think will kind of translate maybe into more that you can talk about, Gina, is for me in high school, I think it was really about those relationships and building relationships with students. That was the foundation of everything. And it felt like that's kind of what mattered the most was having that relationship and then using that as a way to kind of have that like unspoken contract of behavior of like, this is how we're going to treat each other. I'm going to treat you in a certain way. And I hope that that you know, we build that bridge of respect and then that can kind of build as a class. So I'd love to hear more about that relationship building and, and kind of your thoughts on that, because I found that to be super important in my own experience. So I'd love to know your tips for our listeners. Yeah, so I absolutely agree. Consistency is so, so important. And that's something like we are intentionally trying to build right now in our school building. So this way, expectations and language and things like that can be carried over between environments, right? Whether they're in the classroom, 
the lunchroom, the specials room, arrival, dismissal, and also as they move upgrade. So they are experiencing, you know, consistent responses to behavior. And I think there are some teachers who teach middle school who, who have gone through my programs. And we've been talking a lot about like collaborating with your team because you only have those students for whatever, 42 or whatever minute um, amount of minutes it is. And you don't always have the time to build in those uh, social, emotional, or lagging skill lessons. But if you can rely on the rest of your team to be consistent in expectations and also in responses, that can be really helpful as well. Yes, relationships are so important. I think the thing that stumps people with relationships a lot is there are some kids that are so easy to build relationships, right? And those are usually your kids who are going to do the right thing anyway. But your students who are really challenging, it's it can be really tough to build relationships with those students. And I think sometimes we give up, right? Like we try, we do the same relationship building activities or, you know, talking with all of our kids. But there's a different level of relationship that you need with like your best student and your student who struggles the most. And we can't give up on those students. We need to put in more effort, um, which can be really hard because a lot of times we try to build relationships and it feels like they're pushing us away because they are missing skills or because they have experienced trauma or whatever the reason is. But it is even more important for us to have positive relationships with those students because if they do not feel <clears throat> like that they're in an environment that they are safe and that you are a trusted adult that they have a positive relationship with, we can't even begin to change their behavior or teach them academics, right? So I think relationships are one of the most important things that we have to focus on in regards to classroom management, but we need to make even a more um, dedicated effort to making those relationships and building those relationships with our trickiest students. Sometimes when we hear you need to build relationships, I think I used to think, well, I do. Well, I do. Of course I do. I'm a teacher. That's like, that's my, that's what I do. But can you give us some concrete and tangible ways that we can intentionally build relationships with every student? And I think the key word there being intentional mm-hmm. because there needs to, I think that that there is a layer of intentionality behind it that we maybe don't think through all the way because we think, oh, well, I do have a good relationship with all my kids. Is there another level, like another level of relationship building that we can dig into? Yeah, so I totally agree. Like when I used to hear that, I would be like, duh, like who's not building relationships with their students? Like we have a morning meeting. That is literally the point of morning meeting to build relationships with your students, right? But just like you said, we have to be intentional with it. So for example, when my kids come in in the morning, it's a staggered start. They get dropped off by the bus or by parents and they are working in their morning bins originally years ago, I would just, you know, flutter around, make sure everyone's calm, doing what they're supposed to be doing, say good morning, like, okay, that's what you do if you want to have a good relationship with someone. But actually taking time to sit down with a student 
talk to them about something that is unrelated to academics and just sit there and be there with them. Maybe you're building with them. I like to sit and just like build with my kids. We don't even have to talk. I just sit there and build next to them. Um, maybe you ask them about, you know, you know, they had dance class last night. So you try to make a mental note like, oh, I'm going to ask her about that tomorrow. Just taking an interest in your students outside of the four walls of your classroom is so important. And I know that as teachers, we don't have time, right? Like when our kids are at recess, that's our planning time. When our kids are at lunch, that's our lunch time. But if you can just make small deposits of time, it amounts to something so much bigger than that, right? Like I know that my planning time is when my kids are at recess, but I will intentionally take three minutes at the beginning of recess to go out and play with my kids if it's not my recess duty day, right? And just that small deposit of time multiplies day by day and you get so much more, so much more depth out of that than if you just drop your kids at the door and go. And I know that's really hard for teachers, right? Because a lot, some teachers try to like, you know, stick to that contract, but Ultimately, if you want those positive relationships with your students, you need to make an effort for it. And three minutes off of my planning time or two minutes off of my lunchtime is not going to make a huge difference in my life, but it is going to make a huge difference in the lives of my students and in their relationships. So for me, Alyssa, you asked like, how do you intentionally plan for it? If I don't write something down, it does not happen. <laughs> so I, tr I actually write student names in my planner and I just try to visit with like two or three students a day and just go through, you know, the entire class list and then start over. So this way I know, okay, I'm, I'm going to sit down during snack with, you know, Dexter and Gordon today and make sure that I connect with them. Um, just so you make sure you're hitting all of your students. And so this way you make sure you have a plan for it, because we all know if we don't have a plan for it, it's not going to happen, especially with what little time we have. Yeah. Megan always talks about that. If it's not on her calendar, she doesn't do it. Yep. One of the things that you said there that I think is really important to pull out is actually a vulnerability piece. So I think that sitting down and building with your students in the morning or even going out and playing with them at recess does require a certain level of vulnerability as a teacher, because it, it forces you to step out of that role of like, teacher at the front of the room only like does these professional things yep. and has you get down and play with them, which is easier, I think, in a kindergarten classroom than it is with even the older kids. And even in fifth grade, what, what I taught, um, being vulnerable with them might have looked like when it was time to sit down and start writing, I would sit down and start writing too in my writer's notebook. Or if we're going to do independent reading, I literally would bring in my fiction book and sit in the corner on a beanbag. And they're looking at me like, what is she doing over there? Like, what is she just reading? And if the principal walked in, maybe he would think like, what is this slacker teacher doing reading in the corner, reading her fiction book in her beanbag? But what it was really doing was like putting that little bit of vulnerability in that actually does strengthen your relationship with students. So I think that can be done across grade levels. If you look at it that way, where are these moments or these pockets in time where I can step out of that teacher at the front of the room role and step into that, like we're in this together role, which doesn't have to mean that you're their best friend or anything like that, but just gets on their level. And I think that relationship building can be an intentional way to do that. But I love all those strategies that you have. 
we, I know I'm always bad with time and I, I want to like keep chatting with you forever because your ideas are wonderful. I want to ask you one more question that I don't want to miss. And then we'll go into the lightning round. We have a lot of questions about, you know, we talked a bit about like the deeper behaviors and understanding what's going on beneath the behavior, but what about those like surface level behaviors? My class is super chatty. I just, I'm playing whack-a-mole all day. Do you have any, any solutions or tangible ideas for us for that, those like quick behaviors that don't have that really deep underlying cause, but are just really disruptive? Yeah, I think it all goes back to expectations, right? Like we need to get away from just telling our kids what the expectations are, like not talking during a lesson to actually teaching them. I talk about it a lot as in like breaking it down into steps, right? So like for a long time, I taught my kids that one of the classroom rules was raise your hand to talk, right? And I always had kids who would raise their hand and talk at the same time. And I'm like, I don't understand why this is happening. I told you, you have to raise your hand to talk. And what I wound up realizing was like, there are lots of little steps that go into that one expectation, right? What I actually wanted them to do was think of an idea, then raise their hand, then wait quietly, and then talk when I called on them. So really taking the time to break down all your expectations into steps modeling it for your students, having them practice it. And while they're practicing, giving them that behavior specific praise is so important. So they know what they're doing right. And they know what they need to fix. And also not being afraid to stop them and try again. We have, we feel so much pressure to like, stay on pace with curriculum, stay up to date with the pacing guide, that sometimes we're just like, oh, well, they didn't transition how I wanted them to. Well, it's fine because I have to get to math, right? But if we do that, we just keep dealing with the same low-level behavior every day, right? And ultimately, we lose teaching time because we have to stop and redirect students. So if you can stop it at the beginning, you know, guys, that, that wasn't really how we have practiced transitioning. Let's go back to where we were and try it again that is really, really powerful for students because then they know, oh, that is the expectation. That's what I'm being held to. And we're going to keep doing it until we get it right. And always, just like we were talking about, layering on that behavior-specific praise so this way our kids know exactly what they are doing that we want to see more of. Love that. And I think that's a a great point and something that really translates well across the grade levels. Even as you're thinking about what you expect students are able to do because they're a certain age or because they've reached a certain grade level. Something I really had to learn, I taught primarily sophomores and seniors. And the number of things that I would expect seniors in high school to be able to do, I really had to remind myself that they haven't always been taught to do something a certain way, or they haven't always been reminded even to do something a certain way. So instead of assuming, well, they're at a certain level or they're at a certain age, they should just be able to do this, really acknowledging that they might need that refresher or that someone really might not have taken the time to teach them. I think a great example of that for me was always technology. I was assumed or, you know, in the beginning, I would oftentimes assume they just knew how to do something or knew what the expectations were. But to really walk it back and give that step by step, 
just really kind of primes them to do to do it right the way and and again to know what your expectations are and whether sometimes you need to make a joke about it or you know like all right we're going to go over this uh you might already know this you can laugh at me if this sounds silly but we're just going to talk about it real quick and then we'll do it or having them repeat something it really just as you said sets yourself up really well for the rest of the time and and then acknowledges that kids are in different places whether they're 18 or eight and they come in in different places. They had different teachers or experiences or whatnot. Um, and just kind of resetting those boundaries just sets everyone else up for success, right? It makes you a, like a little bit less stressed because you know that you've taught them the right way so that when you, or if you need to kind of say, all right, we didn't do this the right way, you know that you've at least showed them to begin with, as opposed to kind of, you know, giving them a hard time when they didn't really know the expectations. So I find that kind of really trying to walk back that those expectations to start with can be helpful as well. I love that you talked about kind of the organizational piece with the older kids. I, my niece will probably hate me for sharing this with you, but she babysits for me now. She's okay. I shouldn't even call it babysits. She nannies. She's, she just graduated high school and she would get her days mixed up. So I would ask her to come Tuesday. She would all of a sudden like not be available on Tuesday or forget to come on Tuesday. And she's never mastered her calendar. Right. Cause like nobody ever actually showed her how to use a calendar. And that seems like something you would just know how to do. You just, you should know how to use a calendar, but you have to actually be explicitly taught, especially if you're going to try to use a tool like Google calendar. Oh, you have to have it up on your phone. You should have a personal account and a school account these things that it does take some extra time for you to sit down and teach your kids these things, but it pays off and it's so much more valuable for them to learn and lean into that expectation. And sometimes the behavior, like not showing up to do her nannying, she's here right now to talk quietly. Um, it's just because she like never learned how to use her calendar and this is going to follow her into adulthood, right? So it's worthwhile to stop and fix and work together on, um, before we jump into the lightning round, one more piece I want to get from you, Gina. Can you give us an example of behavior-specific praise? We've talked a lot about it. Can you give us a scenario in which you would use it and what exactly would it look like? And then I promise we can get into the lightning round. Yeah. So you would use it all the time. Like It is my number one most used classroom management strategy. What you really do is you just, um, I'll give you an example, but you just try to be as specific as possible noticing the behavior that the student is doing. So we're not passing judgment. Um, we're not saying like, I like that you X, Y, and Z, because it's not about us. And instead of saying a general statement, like, great job, we are calling out the specific behavior that that we see. So for example, if our students are lining up, um, I might say something like, Dexter, I noticed you use walking feet all the way to your spot in line. So I'm telling him, the behavior that I expected and that I noticed that he did it. And it's obviously super quick. And I think the biggest piece with that is just trying to be as intentional as possible. You know, if you have students who don't typically show those behaviors, it's really powerful if you try to intentionally call out when they are exhibiting those behaviors, rather than just relying on like your three kids who always do it all the time. Right. Do you not say, I loved that you were using your walking feet? You say, I noticed you were using your walking feet. So judgment free. Yeah, it's not wrong, but I try to take myself out of it because, right, like I, it's not about me at all and how I feel about what you did. It's just actually noticing the behavior that you did. Because sometimes like kids are going to do things that aren't exceptional, right? Like they're coloring with the blue crayon. 
I can still tell them like, oh, you colored in the lines with the blue crayon. That's not like so exceptional that I'm like, oh my gosh, I love that you did that, right? So I try to just do, focus it more on the behavior than actually how I feel about it. I'm I'm so glad you gave that to us because I find myself um, with my four-year-old daughter wanting to, I don't always just want to praise her for things that I feel like should be kind of basics now, yeah. right? Like, but at the same time, that acknowledgement. And I, and I just love that that is really the main takeaway of it. It's an acknowledgement. And I think two to just drive the home, the point is we all want to be acknowledged for what we're yes. doing, right? If I unload the dishwasher, I want someone to acknowledge that I've done that, right? Even right. if I did it when no one was here, I kind of still want the acknowledgement, right? So I just think that it's, it's sounds cheesy, but it's that being seen. Yes. And by verbalizing that regularly to your students, you're telling them that you notice what they do and that they are seen to you, not just in negative ways and not even just in positive ways, but just that, that, that you, they're there and that you're there. Yes. And I think that that's really, it sends a really powerful message. And I think and it that, also, that language, I like that you are specific about how you do that as well. It's a really interesting way to kind of approach it. Yeah. And it also sends the message to kids that they don't have to do anything above and beyond in order for me to notice them, right? And the most powerful part of it is when your kids start doing it to other kids. That is like, that's when I'm like, all right, I did my job. I, we got this. Yeah, I love it. That's this is so great. All right, let's jump into the lightning round. Megan, you want to take this one away? Yes. All right, we've got three lightning round questions. So our first one is, what is a like your go-to activity or game when you've got like a couple extra minutes, need to fill some time during a class? Oh, this one is, it's called one through five. Um, and you can elicit your kids help, right? So you say, okay, every number that I say is going to have a movement, right? So like I would do the first one, like when I say number one, we're going to clap. What should we do when I say number two? Um, and you get a different movement for one through five and then you play the game, right? So you just start saying numbers in random order and your kids have to tr try to remember what the movement was. Um, to display it when you say the number. So usually I start out easy and I do like one, two, three, four, five in order. And then I just start mixing it up and like three, five, one, four. Um, and it is just so fun. It gets kids moving. It gets energy out. They will laugh because ultimately you are going to do the wrong move and they'll call you out on it. <laughs> but it is just really fun. And it only takes a few minutes. So if you only have like three minutes before you have to go somewhere, it's a super quick and easy game to play. Awesome. Love that one. All right. Second one. What is the funniest thing or a funny thing that has happened to you in the classroom? In the classroom? Oh, gosh. Um, gosh, this is a hard lightning round question, I think. Oh, OK. I do have one. Um, so actually, during our hybrid year during COVID, um, I had a little boy who um, came into school in pants and we had to stay in the classroom for specials because it was COVID. We weren't allowed to like walk in the building. Um, and I came back after art and all of a sudden he was wearing shorts and I'm like, sure. I remember you wearing pants. Well, he had taken the scissors and he had cut his pants into shorts. So the two other halves of his pants were just laying on the floor. And I had to call his mom and let her know that he decided to do a little wardrobe change while I was not there. But oh, we got a good laugh out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I assume he was just warm. He was feeling warm and wanted. Listen, 
<laughs> his pants had like a little hole in them and he was just like we're gonna go all the way with this so <laughs> yeah creative genius great. good initiative on his yes. part yes. You know? oh that's great all right and our last one of course we have to ask this question is what's your favorite way to kind of learn new strategies get inspired for the work that you're still doing in the classroom honestly I love watching reels on Instagram like that I just first of all they're short which is like my attention span and people are just so creative. You can get such great information just from watching like a 30 second reel. So that's really where I get most of my inspiration, just scrolling on Instagram and being like, oh, that looks really fun or really creative. I want to try that with my kids. So that's what I do. Perfect. Love that. We're all about the bite-sized professional development opportunities. And if you have not seen Gina's reels yet, you must go check her out. So Gina, share with us, where can the listeners connect with you, find you, um, give us all of the ways that they can connect. Yeah. So I spend most of my time on Instagram. Um, I'm at teaching with heart. I am always in my DM. So you can go ahead and send me a DM. I also have my website, which is actually teaching because teaching with heart was taken. So if you head there, you can find like my email address or a contact form to go ahead and just reach out. But most of my time I spend on Instagram. So if you want to chat, that's where you can find me. Awesome. I know the listeners will definitely want to connect with you after the wonderful advice you've provided today. So thank you so much to Megan and to Gina for being here today. This was a wonderful episode. Thank you to all the listeners as well. And we'll talk to you soon. If you had a light bulb moment during this episode, or you thought of an idea to share, join us inside our podcast community to tell us your thoughts on both the extracurricular and that teacher podcast. We have a space for you to comment and chat with one another about each episode. We believe that sharing our experiences as educators is what keeps us moving, learning, and experiencing more of a sense of connection. You can join us inside the community to access all the podcast episodes and the discussion prompts. Just click on join community when you go to poppd.co.